You people are not watching enough television. I see myself. The way those men treated that poor girl. Fortunately, I have no idea what you're talking about. I cannot believe I am in this conversation. Everything he says means something else, too. How can he pretend that she never existed? I don't like feeling like this. No one does. That's not what I'm talking about, my dear. Don't waste your youth on age. Welcome to Mad Men, men. Men, 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 men. Oh, men, sorry, men, sorry. Manly men, men. I, men. Is that I, I tend to, I tend to drone on and on sometimes, kind uh, of like this episode of Mad Men. Hmm. Um, oh, hey, welcome to Mad Men, men weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 until 2015. Giving our conversation around the conversation the show is having about gender, the patriarchy, and other things that make us mad. And also, I, I didn't even realize this when we initially set out to do this whole thing, that it is the 15-year anniversary of the first season when we were doing this, I guess, kind of coincidentally, timing-wise, worked out. Happy birthday, Mad Men. Yeah, that's it. Mad Men is officially a teenager. Yeah. Growing on up. Kind of mm. kind of like Sally Draper, maybe, who we might see more of on the show. Who knows? I, I want to keep it a little bit, you know vague for people who haven't watched but anyway i'm john negroni back uh we took a little bit of a, a break i mean people won't notice this when they listen because mm. uh we're, we're a few episodes ahead but uh i'm i'm just getting back into uh podcasting things and with me it's uh first will ashton hey will you heard his voice hey welcome back john hey and then of course michael overholz michael how's it going it's going so great john i'm trying to keep my blood pressure down um just ready to fight you about this episode I don't oh. appreciate you already throwing in that droning comment, but uh, you're against drone warfare. I, I know that. I am a, absolutely. I'm more yeah. about that hand to hand combat kind of thing. Same, actually, but uh, no. I, this, Will kind of gave it away. I was. I I told Will this in confidence. I was like, "Hey, Will, don't tell Mike this. Oh, uh, please keep it a secret." <laughs> and then Will was like, "Of course, John, you can trust me." I'm, yeah. And uh, I told him, "I was like, this is this is my least favorite episode of mm. the season. One of my least favorite episodes." of all of Mad Men. And you're not okay with that, Mike? You seem upset. Well, I didn't know this information. I get done watching the episode and I text the group saying, well, I forgot how good of an episode this was. And it Mm. was like, I don't know. It was the best news Will had ever heard because it turns out he loves to instigate fights. Like, you look at him smirking right now knowing the fight he caused. Yeah. I was a little rascal. Will's a bit of a chef in the kitchen, you know? Mm. As soon as he has a reason, he sees some spices on the shelf, he's ready to toss them in. I mean, look, we have like 90-something... We have 90-something of these episodes we have to do, right? I want Mm -hmm. at least a couple of them to get a little spicy to keep things interesting. People remember, yeah, that was one long weekend. Felt like it, didn't it? Um, Now, we're not recording this on a long weekend, but uh, we're about to have, uh, because of Labor Day, right? And uh, that's when this episode takes place, right? It's a uh, Labor Day long weekend. You, I mean, Mike's shaking his head as if I'm just like, yeah, duh. Um, there's an election coming up, John. Uh, yeah, it's Labor Day. Well, yeah, the election of 1960. And uh, also, uh, you know, in, in, in our case, the, the midterm election. So, you know, it, it's usually uh, we have off year elections and everything. But again, the timing just seems to work out. But uh, yeah, we're, we're talking about episode 10. Uh, now, you know, Mike, we missed you for Red in the Face. Uh, or not wait were you on for bread in the face or the last episode was shoot and then before that hobo code before that 
right in the face. So I'm I'm all over the place. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I like to, uh, you know how actors, you know, they do one for themselves, they do one for their fans. I'm like that mm-hmm. with this podcast, you know. I do one for me where I don't show up. I do one for you where I do. It's, you know, kind of on and off. Which one was for me? To, and I guess this one, because this is the one where you're just like, well, hold on. I can't miss the, my opportunity to throw John away. No, this one's for all of our listeners, the the groupies, who just always okay. want to tell you, just tell you off. Yeah. Well, fortunately, you're here to do that. Um, so, okay. Uh, this episode, uh, as we mentioned, it's uh, we have a long weekend coming up. The office is shutting down Sterling Cooper. Uh, this is one of those episodes that like takes place over the course of like really just uh, a day or even less than a day. It's one of those rare episodes. This is also one of the few episodes that doesn't end with a song. Uh, it actually just kind of ends with the soundtrack. So uh, a very unique episode. It was directed by Tim Hunter and has four writers. I think this is the most, uh, the high, highest amount of writers we've had so far on the show, but each one of these writers has done an episode before. So Bridget Bedard, who did Red in the Face, maybe that's what I was thinking. Um, this is uh, her second episode that she's done. Uh, I also forgot to mention Tim Hunter uh, previously did Red in the Face as well, also New Amsterdam. And then we also have uh, Andre Jacquemetin and Maria Jacquemetin, who they both co-wrote Babylon. So this is them coming back. And Matthew Weiner has a credit on this episode as well. So lots of of cooks in the kitchen. Some would call that a complaint, but I have a feeling Will and Mike are sort of being like, oh yeah, you're describing the thing that I like about the episode is it's uh, perspectives for days. Yeah, my guess is that it's because each of them have had such... um you know, are, are responsible for like different parts of the main storyline. And I felt like mm-hmm. you've got a lot of intertwining and development for multiple things, right? You have what's going on with Roger and Joan, Roger himself, uh, mm-hmm. with Don, with Betty. Uh, and then, you know, you even get a little bit of, um, oh man, what, what, I can only think of Joan's name. Anyways. Yeah, Christina Hendricks or, or wait, wait, are you trying to think of somebody else? Peggy, Carol? Yeah, I was trying to get to Peggy. I couldn't get okay, Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the main characters of the series. Yeah. Yeah. Is, does she, she become important like, in the show? Yeah, yeah. She only gets like two scenes in this. One's super, super brief. The other is pretty memorable with Pete. Um, but can I, I, should I just get out of the way why I don't like this episode or should we just do that? I mean, I'm yeah, certainly. Get it off your chest. I'm okay. Certainly curious. I don't think it all comes together. Now, look, there's good stuff in here. There's a there's a clear through line. I think the main theme of this episode is about uh, seeing other people through other people. The idea of being a self-made person, the differing inter- interrelational relationships or whatever that word is. Uh, relation, the interrelationships, that's it, um, between the people in the office. All that stuff, is, it's, it's fine. It's solid. I, this has some of my least favorite scenes in the season. I, I really don't like some of the scenes in this. And I, I just think that some, the movie stuff, the movie stuff really bothers me. And I know Will's going to be like, well, hold on, John, two of your favorite movies of all time get brought up in here. The mm. Apartment is my favorite movie ever. Uh, it's tied with my number one. And La Dolce Vita is my top five. It's my number five favorite movie of all time. And this movie, like, or this episode directly calls the apartment. It's basically taking the apartment and sort of like redoing it mm-hmm. in, in a way, in a sense. True. And it, with the Dolce Vita, it plays out a, a scene from the movie, basically. 
So like what gives? Yeah. And I just don't think it all comes together. I, I, I just think that it's it's very disjointed. It, to me, it feels like four different writers kind of battling each other. Like I just don't find the I don't find the um, different storylines to really connect super well together. And I kind of it, like I feel like you kind of have to force it. And I also think the movie stuff is just way too on the nose. Like it's annoying to me. Like I'm watching this episode and it's just like especially in the last shot with Joan as the elevator operator. And it's like we get it. Like, okay, like, yes, the apartment is a movie that exists. And it's just so, I don't know, over the top to me. But uh, I I mean, Will, you well, doesn't seem like you agree. It's not that I disagree. I'm just kind of surprised because like like you were saying, I would think because the apartment is not only the not only reference, but the framework for this episode. And like you said, there's a Dolce Vita. There's a lot of movies in here. I would think, oh, you know, this would be. Joan brings up a bunch. Yeah. Yeah, I would think, you know, this would be up your alley, but it sounds like because the episode is maybe not as sturdy uh, narratively as the others that you feel the uh, the references and the homages kind of add insult to injury because they're not living up to these films that you love. Like you think there's a much yeah, it's, better it's referencing episode. them, but it's not mm-hmm. doing much with them because it sounds like if this like really for you, like nailed it, this would be like a top five episode of Mad Men for you. It just doesn't quite matches expectations so because it it falls short it it stings a little bit more is that fair to say i don't know i mean i'm taking it as i see it right because this is a show with lots of episodes about movies and with movies in them so it it definitely gets it right in other places but for me just not this one i really liked i know you called out the jones scene in the end i just think what a little fun moment of her saying that she's becoming the character or she's so scared about becoming the character in the elevator or in the apartment and she literally becomes the white woman elevator operator at the end of the episode. It's a fun little moment. Well, also, Roger's the one who questions Tom, it. He's just like, oh, that's not realistic. And she's just sort of like, clearly she, she sees herself. Her life is becoming the movie. John, let me ask you this question. Do you, have you ever read a book? Do you like reading? Uh, once or twice. Oh, boy. There's a, there's a, <laughs> there's a small-time author. He's pretty indie. I don't know. If, have you heard of Stephen King? Yeah, not a fan. So there's this thing that Stephen King does in a lot of his books with a lot of intertwining storylines, right? And it's this, um, you know, method of ratcheting the attention, you know, within a larger course of work. And that's exactly what this episode was for me. I get what you're saying, and I hear the criticism of it instantly. It doesn't feel like it ever amounted to anything. But with where the season has gone, what we got in this episode... I think it ratchets up so much tension. It gives you so much um, that you've been waiting for. It was like, you know, Don's reveal of his life at the end of the episode. Exposition dump. But when when do you want it to happen, John? It has to happen for the end of the season to be as good as it is. It's a sleepy delivery of the line. John Hamm's done much better. I just think like bookending it with that is like... uh, Again, it's I just, it think just you give really great performances. I think John Slattery in this episode. No, this, yeah, this is Slattery at his best. And I think, yeah, I mean, like the, the whole moment between him and Mona, like considering that's his like real life wife and like it, the emotion there and the, all that stuff. Like, so Don has like an existential crisis in this episode, right? And I, I you know, the idea is that up until this point, he's kind of looked down on Roger. He kind of like put, you know, sees himself as the young buck. He thinks he's Kennedy. And then he's kind of seeing himself being like, I'm Nixon. I'm getting older. I'm aging. 
Um, like I'm right behind Roger. That's why he tells the pallbearer story, right? And so to me, that's an interesting way to go about it, but it just feels abrupt. And I guess that's the point. It's supposed to sort of just be like it all of a sudden without really seeing it coming. Don's just like, oh, uh, I'm getting older and it's all you know downhill from here. Um, but I, I guess there's just something missing for me. Like, how does that really connect like to the apartment stuff? And it's like, well, why, why are we invoking so many movies here? Why movies? Like, it feels like it was an idea for one writer to really nail that in. And then another writer was like, no, no, it, it, it's about, you know, how Don sees himself as Nixon. Get it? Richard Nixon, Dick Whitman, same name. And then another writer is just like, well, hold on. Like, well, Roger, you know, Roger's dying. Like, well, it just, uh, it's a lot. It's a mess. Uh, I mean, if I may, I don't want to kind of get in the middle of you two, considering how tensions are certainly mounting, much like this episode, you could say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think to your point, John, like it does kind of feel like a stew of an episode, like obviously having four writers in here. It seems like Weiner is probably tying everything together. It's kind of like different ideas they had throughout the season that they decided to kind of clump together into this episode. It, it's not maybe quite as seamless or quite as organic as I think it could have been certainly, but I think to Mike's point, uh, it, it really is, I think sold by those moments. Like I, even though I don't love how they come together, it doesn't quite feel like it says organic. I, I do think the little moments really make the, the and it is like, like uh, Mike is mentioning it, it is kind of, there is clear tension being built. So it's not like, you know, it's not like the sum of its parts entirely. Like there is clear craft, in this episode. And even if this is one of the weaker episodes, I think it's a uh, testament to this quality that, you know, even if it's weaker than the other episodes, it's still better than the weakest episode of a lot of other shows. So I don't really get the, the anger, but I can understand, you know, why it's not anger. It's just a little bit of, it's it's a little bit of frustration. You hated it. Um, and again, it's like, it's, it's one of the best shows of all time, in my opinion. So it's like one of those things where, um, my standards for it are pretty high. So like, yeah, it's like a B minus episode of a really great show. So to me, the curve is a little bit skewed in some ways. Like, there, I had to, again, like another thing, um, the whole like, OK, uh, they're twins. And so the idea of like Roger and Don kind of being like twins and then it's like being forced on Don is a sort of like I'm like the mirror image of this guy, Roger, when I don't really want to be. And then also bringing up the Eisenhower thing of like he sees himself as like not really having any talent. I mean, there's a lot to get into here. So I don't, I don't know where you guys want to even like start with it. I mean, there's so many moments in this episode. I, I hear what you're saying. And yeah, the, I've been again, negative. Let's so pause because it up. The, those, those, mo- those, I really like the Eisenhower bit it, because of that Paul bearer story, Don's mm-hmm. thinking he's next up considering that. Uh, and then immediately seeing a, uh, a negative campaign, which they were wanting to do. So it's like hurting his work pride, but then him comparing himself and realizing, Oh, I've never made a decision here. Like I, I, I think that's great writing. I think it's great characterization. And uh, I just, I couldn't disagree with you more on the moments that made this episode great. I do think like it, that there's the whole early scene, right, where Don is sitting uh, and he's just like with Nixon, I see myself. And uh, it's a very, very telling moment, um, especially because then you kind of see that Pete is like the Kennedy. He's literally like right there with him. He's the one who responds kind of thoughtfully to the Kennedy ad compared to like, you know, we all know like Harry Crane is going to dislike it because he's like such a bore. And 
everybody else is going to be all kind of stodgy about it. But Pete is kind of like the Kennedy in this situation. He's the young one. And then Don is just like, you know, they, they've mentioned it earlier in the season where, you know, Roger is telling him, like, don't compete with Pete Campbell. Right. And Don's like, well, I'm not. He's like, you are. You are. Like, there, there is this sort of reticence, this hesitancy that Don has when it comes to seeing himself as getting a bit older. Right. I do love, though, with Pete being that young version who's competing with, that they do keep giving him moments where, like, Pete's so close to actually being right, but then he just makes that one extra comment. Um, what was it that you said in that meeting? Um, we'll, we'll go down swinging. And you can tell that just does not land well with Roger. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's inexperienced to assume you're Sometimes, already going like, to lose. Just I, right. I love that Pete does that. Yeah. Yeah, it, it is one of those things where, like, he is right, but, like, nobody wants him to be right is more what it is <laughs> like they're just kind of like all put off by him and it, yeah yeah um okay well we'll uh what's we'll, we'll something i mean it sounds like you kind of like the episode sure um a bit right yeah. um so yeah what was any was there anywhere that you wanted to go with it you know positive wise uh i mean for me the highlights of the episode i think come down to primarily the dawn scenes i think roger's segments as we mentioned john Slattery's performance really stands out here i also admire the risks they sort of take uh with roger as far as like making him a lot more weirder and grosser as a character i mean certainly we've seen this guy sort of degraded a number of times already but i i kind of admire the show for not being afraid to just kind of put him down bad <laughs> uh in a number of scenarios um sort of the bravery of the the early uh episodes here is impresses me but as far as uh don draper is concerned i mean we have obviously dug into the character but oftentimes when we explore don it's through like flashback or it's through like him kind of recollecting things alternative or eternally uh more of an intuitive uh journey for him but i, I like that this episode explores him kind of removing those layers in a more direct and honest way. I mean, obviously, uh, this is a character who's never really comfortable being honest in any respect. And even when he is, like, at the end of this episode, like, emotionally and physically naked, there is something that, like, he's still kind of holding back in some respects. But I really admire the show, like, you know, obviously... The dichotomy of uh, Don's character here is kind of explored between him being this weird sort of mix of uh, JFK and Richard Nixon, uh, even down, you know, him being literally Dick <laughs> hiding in uh, another person. And the idea that, like, uh, he on the surface has like a very like JFK kind of demeanor. He's very charismatic. He's very sexual. Like he's someone who is sort of promiscuous. He's someone that people readily like. But internally he he is sort of a richard nixon type and that's something that i think matthew solar kind of digs into in his chapter in, in his book about this episode is like that ultimately he has sort of like that paranoia that uh nixon has he has that sort of desire to like want to prove himself and he he is someone who came from nothing and became something and he has a story that feels very american but he's also someone who needs to kind of hide behind someone else in order to be the person that he wants to be. And I, I, I do like that this episode allows us to see how dynamic of a character Don is, even though it's exploring things we have seen in other episodes in some respects, seen a little bit better. I, I do admire that this episode's a little bit more direct and exploring that in a way that allows 
uh, John Hamm and his performance to really showcase his talents and explore that in different ways. So I think that's the stuff that really stands out to me. And I think that end scene, especially uh, with him and Rachel, is one of the more standout moments that I've seen so far in this series. I, I think, um, and I don't know if you're saying the same thing because it sounded like you weren't. To me, he is like the Don Draper persona is Kennedy and the sort of like the who he really is, is literally Nixon. Right. Like, like he wants to be Kennedy, but he is like <laughs> Nixon deep down, yeah. I guess. <laughs> it sounded like you were kind of to me, you were saying like because there is there is a blending of the two i guess because nixon being the self-made man but don draper is not supposed to be mm -hmm. the like humble beginnings guy he's supposed to be the no i actually like you know uh you know am mm -hmm. privileged or i was i fit in into this world like i you know mm -hmm. if that makes sense yeah no i mean i guess if i didn't explain that properly i apologize but yeah i mean i, I think the stuff with Kennedy, as far as don is concerned is a more superficial thing it's kind of the coding around him um, as I think Matthew Zollersay said, like it, it internally, he is that that sort of Nixon personality. Like he's very paranoid. He is someone who came from nothing, became something. Once lies be, about who he, he is. Lies about who he is exactly. Yeah, he he's someone who's inherently dishonest. Someone who has like an old fashioned mentality, even though he can have a sort of suave, charismatic side to him as well. So he is, I, I think, inherently sort of a blend of the two. But I mean, the the Kennedy stuff is more superficial to the internal Nixon stuff that drives his character. And even though the like 50s turning over to 60s stuff can be a little uh, on the nose, you're suggesting not only with the Kennedy and Nixon ads, but also with some dialogue that Joan has midway through in the episode. I, I do appreciate how the show is kind of showing like he he is a man of two different times and whether or not he adapts to the changing of the tides is I think going to be inherent to the conflict, at least from where I'm standing, obviously you two know, obviously, but just watching us for, I guess, technically kind of the first and second time right now. That's, that's what I'm appreciating. The people know what happens in the 1960s if they were paying attention in history class, but of course, yeah, yeah. I mean, we know what I happens mean, in the rest of the show. With Don, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So to me, you know, like I mentioned this earlier, I think that there are three major storylines here. There's Joan's story, Roger's story and Don's story. I think all three are kind of about being self-made or sort of like where you find your your worth and your your motivation for what you do. Uh, Jones is a little bit simpler, you know, for her. It's about the performance. I guess that's where the movie stuff kind of comes in. It's it's her sort of seeing herself at my Doris Day and my Kim Novak, but she can't like be herself. Uh, whereas with Don and Roger, it's a little different. Uh, and this in this episode, you know, to its credit, I think that it explores and kind of examines too a little bit of like what really motivates Don's affairs? Like, why does he have affairs? Uh, it, it's something that like, we've kind of gotten a little bit of like hints in previous episodes because we've seen that Don is kind of particular about certain things. Like, you know, people have made the observation. It was like, oh, well, he doesn't, he doesn't want to have like office romances, right? Uh, he doesn't want to, you know, sort of like uh, shit where he eats and everything. And I think that's partly it for sure. I, I think it's one of those things where like he likes to compartmentalize. He's a master at like uh, self-discipline in that sense. But another thing though, is that I think for Don and, and where the Rachel thing comes in is he, he wants a challenge, you know, he, he in, in the work life, he wants to build something for himself. He wants to, you know, when they lose the Dr. Scholl's account in this episode, he like freaks out. Like he like wipes stuff off his desk. He, it feels like it's such a failure for him. Right. 
And then romantically, I think he's in a similar, he has a similar sort of uh, interpretation of like what he gets out of an affair because he, he's not so easily seduced. He's not like Roger, who seems to be motivated by something a little bit different on like what it means to build something from nothing because Roger was born into privilege. Roger is somebody who, you know, he, he, he couldn't be a self-made man. There was no way for him to do that. So for him, being self-made means getting his daughter to love him. And it's why he's obsessed with like, like literally like for the second time in the show, he has sex with somebody who is much younger than him and then talks about his daughter after, which is very gross. But it's something that keeps happening because it's like clearly and like, again, it's so on the nose about this. Like, it really bugs me, actually, because he literally like looks at her and says, like, you're not much older than Mona. Like, why are you, you're not angry with me? And it's just like it, it's so pointed. Um but clearly that's like Roger's whole journey here is like to him being self-made means like not being lonely anymore, fighting the aging process for Don. It's more of like he, he wants to like conquer women. He wants to like have power over them. Clearly it's why like with, uh, with Peggy, like he, he wouldn't, he wouldn't be with Peg like when Peggy's like coming on to him, he's just like, whatever, like that's easy. But to him, something difficult would be like Rachel, you know, because Rachel is somebody who, you know, as you notice with his conversations with Betty on the phone, you know, she she just keeps asking him like all these questions and she's like fixated on what's going on with her dad and his new girlfriend. And Don's just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And then when he tries that with Rachel, where Rachel is just like, well, what are you doing? Why are you trying to kiss me? And he's like, I don't know. She's like, do you do like you do know? You know, like I, it's like a subtle thing that happens really fast, but it's like that's kind of the thing that makes him kind of like that's what turns him on, I guess. Yeah, I was thinking a lot about Rachel and Don, and I think I had a little bit different read than you was. I think what you're saying makes sense. I can see where you're going with him wanting to dominate and it being a challenge. But I also just think he sees himself in Rachel, and that's what really turns him on. Because at the end of the day, uh, no one loves Don Draper totally. like Don Draper. I totally Draper. agree with that. Uh, just being self-made herself, like or her father and then her, um, her strong willedness. And I, exactly what you're saying, though, the juxtaposition of him calling Betty and Betty completely blowing him off and talking about these really trivial, I'm so stuck on my dad and this new girlfriend. And Don just being like, I just am not on this wavelength. I need to go see someone trivial to him. who is on my wavelength. Yes, trivial to him. Exactly. Because uh, she's, she's green. And, uh, I mean, like, it, clearly, like it's important, but yeah. Yeah, but it's also something to Don. Like Don moves from thing to thing to thing, right? And this entire season, it, we've been Betty's mom died. Betty's not over her mom dying. And I think they keep repeating and hitting that note, hitting that note, and you can see it getting more and more and more and more and more to talk. Yeah, there's a lot in this episode where Don is constantly kind of relating, either consciously or not, to older men in this episode. The first one being Gene, who he seemed to... One of the things that he doesn't seem to respect about Gene is that you know, he makes the comment to Betty. He's like, the guy was married for 40 years. He can't even like make himself like a cup of tea, whatever he says, right? Where Don, you know, he clearly doesn't see himself that way. He sees himself as somebody who, you know, doesn't need, you know, a woman to do everything for him. Like he's married and everything, but like he's way more independent. Whereas he probably, he seems to have way more respect for somebody like Abe, Rachel's father, right? Because Abe is somebody who like is a self-made man. By the way, I really pointed to like, you know, it's clear to me why Don would tell Rachel what he tells her at the end of the episode, because there is that moment in the meeting where Rachel's like, you know, actually, my father did come from nothing. Who here can say that? Clearly, Don can't say that out loud, but like he has to get it off his chest later. 
So okay, uh, yeah. Will, did you have anything to add to that? Because I know we got to we got to talk about Joan. Uh, you talked. You already talked about like the Don stuff, but yeah. What else you got? Um. Yeah, I guess. I mean, there was a part of me that was kind of hoping we'd get a little bit more of Betty's perspective in this episode, but also as we were suggesting, um, you know, there's there's so much that's happening in this episode that it would just be another sort of thing to happen. It would probably take away from the episode more than add to it. But I did find it fascinating that as you're suggesting that there's so much explored here about family or lack thereof and like how our relationships to our parents sort of form us or don't form us. And obviously um, Betty's fraught relationship with her mother and to a lesser extent, her father is something that that drives her character and something that we uh, continue to see in the previous episode. Um, but that was something I, I, when we started the episode and we saw so much of her, I was kind of hoping we'd kind of get a little bit more to that. But, you know, like I said, I, I get the reason why they opted to shift away from her in this episode, but it also kind of feels like a missed opportunity at the same time. So I'm a little on the fence about that. I'll admit. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely agree with what you're saying though about, yeah, sorry, good. No, I was just going to say, I think it also does make just a little bit of sense that Betty is off in her own world in this episode because she truly, like, she's the most oblivious character in the entire show. And that's all her world revolves around. It's what's immediately in front of her. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think with her, she clearly is having issues with, like, her dad moving on because she hasn't moved on. And, you know, there is, like, a little little thing here where, like, clearly she's she's struggling. She needs to talk to somebody about this. Don is the only person that she feels like she can talk to, but Don is not emotionally available, physically available, but she still is like being a wife to him. You know, they, I think it is important that the phone call they have, it does end with her being like, make sure you eat something, you know, that of course, like her, of course, being, uh, you know, still looking out for him, but Don doesn't see it. You know, he immediately runs to Rachel and he, he goes to Rachel for basically like to comfort him in this, this crisis that he's having. Um, th- there's a bunch of stuff with Joan in this episode. Uh, before we go to the Joan stuff, though, quickly uh, with Peggy, we get a little bit of a check-in. She has a great, just a great, great uh, line here with Pete. And I think I really like it because I think that it's just like, it's so calm and rational. And she just like politely like lays him out and eviscerates him here. Because like he comes to her and he's just like, why are you, he's like whining to her because she's basically not like, you know, falling at his knees and like worshiping him, I suppose. But she's just like, well, what do you want? Like, she's like, I don't know if you like me. It's just like, she, she's just being so clear and concise about it. And when he tries to like, you know, throw barbs in her or try to be like, you know, look, I'm married, blah, blah, blah. She's just like, yeah, you told me how confusing that can be. I mean, she's quick. And I think there's something about how the writing has kind of emboldened her. It's made her feel a little bit like, I don't have time for this. Like, she's kind of lost her patience with him. And I love to see it. It's really satisfying. And it's also just, it feels natural, too, because, like, she stood up for herself in other episodes. But there is still, like, that like kind of teary-eyed look that she'll have. Like, that scene with Joan, either an episode or an episode before that, where she has, like, she sticks up for herself, but it is a little bit shaken and in this episode she she has much more of a strong will there is still that vulnerability that uh elizabeth moss brings to peggy but yeah i, I agree with you 100 percent though that in this episode she seems like she's really kind of fir- firming that uh backbone of hers and and she's not afraid to, to dish it out a little bit especially for someone like pete a man who will never have a backbone ever i presume 
She had the second best line delivery for me in this entire episode with uh, or should I lay down on the couch mm-hmm. to remind you? I thought that was just like it's a good line, but even a great delivery. It was so like strong and fierce and a little bit sassy, and you could tell it like <laughs> it hit Pete so deep. Yeah, was your was your number one line uh, when God closes the door, he opens a dress? Uh, you know that that's an honorable mention. But I I literally <laughs> love the line delivery of Don slapping Roger and saying your wife's name is Mona. <laughs> yeah, in front of the paramedics. I, I but I mean like it is such a an important kind of touch, isn't it? Because I mean one of the things that pushes Don to reach out to Betty at all is the fact that he sees Roger with his family. And like I think the fact that he doesn't get from Betty what he what Roger gets from his wife is what kind of freaks him out even more and makes him go to Rachel and, and basically try to like reset with her, you know, uh, they do finally hook up and you know, it, I don't know. What, what, what do you make of that whole thing? You know, well, like, do you remember a lot from the Rachel stuff in this season? Like, do you have a sense of what's ahead? Um, you mean for the episodes to come up? Sure. Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, I don't think so. Not that I recall. Mainly the stuff I remember from this point forward relates to Peggy, I'll say. And, you know, Dawn a little bit, too, but mostly Peggy. So, okay. uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think anything else besides what we've seen already is sticking out with me as far as Rachel is concerned. But I might change my tune if, like, I'm watching a future episode. I'm like, oh, yeah, that scene, you know. <laughs> sure. All right. So the Jones stuff. I think um, Dawn pulled. Oh, the, no, oh Mike, sorry. Go ahead. OK, Jeff, never mind. No, I thought we were going to talk no, about no, the Rachel please. scene. We can definitely move on to Joan. No, I was let's, just gonna let's say, finish up with the Rachel scene, then jo- we'll go to Joan. Let's do it. Yeah. I think that Don pulls the ultimate scumbag move, like man- male manipulator of the century move of like throws himself at her, is going to do whatever he wants to do, like clearly is over for a purpose. But then right before it happens, he says, only if you, say, only if you want me to, right? Because then it's in his mind, her decision and if they regret it afterwards he can totally blame her it's not on, he he didn't say yes she wanted it he has a, he has like a warped view of consent basically um but yeah yeah just and to make think, himself feel better i think part of that too is that like for him it won't like that's kind of what i was saying before it's like it won't satisfy him unless he convinces himself or has a reason to believe that she really wants to and that she's not doing it out of pity you know, um, I think that that's the thing that's going to be what makes him sort of get so, what out of this, what he gets out of it ultimately, because he's not like Roger in a sense, like Roger seems to be doing this, um, not even because of lust necessarily, but to prove something, to prove that he's not getting too old, that he can be with, you know, beautiful women and, and do all of that. But Don is totally different. It's like Don can be with beautiful women, but he wants to be with like women at his level. Or he wants to be with women that, uh, you know, he wants to earn it, essentially. Not just, like, be with somebody because, like, they're attracted to him. And he, he's probably attracted to them. So, with that, we can go to the Jones stuff. And the Jones stuff frustrates me the most. I, I think that, again, like, I, I just think the thing with Carol and, like, this this subplot, I just don't think connects as gracefully or naturally to the Roger and Don stuff. And it's not, be- and, and I think Christina Hendricks is clearly doing a great job here. I think that she's like really like kind of like subtly like mean. Like there's this whole thing where Carol 
basically comes out to her and confesses her love for Joan. Joan kind of brushes her off and sort of in like a slight retaliation. This is my read. I want to hear what you guys have to say if you agree or disagree. But my read of like why she brings back those two like really unattractive looking dudes who are sort of like the inverse twins of like the the twins that we get in um with Roger and Don, right? Um, it, it felt to me like Joan was literally being like to Carol, like I would rather sleep with these pathetic either of these pathetic dudes uh, than with a woman. I gotta push back to that. Well for one, rude. I mean, what do those guys ever do to you, John? <laughs> Extremely I mean, they're, they're clowns. They're lame. They're yeah, they're duds. They make Harry Crane look attractive. Extremely unattractive. You could have just said like, you know, like uh, they, he's they're out of her league or something. You know, you didn't have to well, like. It's, it's like it's a combination. It's like they're kind of schlubby, and also their personalities are atrocious. Yeah, I mean, they're a bit of a you know some gross hound dogs. I'm I'm not gonna uh, champion their characters, but you know, I'm not gonna disparage the guy, their looks. Yeah. The guy's literally being like, you know, racist against Polish people. I mean, it, sure. like, they really like drive it home. You know? Sure. But in any case, um, I didn't really see it so much as her uh, really sticking it uh, to Kate as much. Or sorry, is it Carol? And I think the actress. Carol. Sorry. I think the actress is named uh, Kate Norby, if I'm not mistaken. The way to remember it is like it's basically like the. Uh, the unhappy version of Carol, the movie, the 2015 film. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's one way to look at, um, I mean, I think for me, I I do agree to some respect as far as like, I think there was more to explore there that didn't really get its full due with this episode. I I think that scene with, uh, Carol and, um, with Joan is is actually quite moving in its own little way. I, I love the way the camera sort of lingers on the mirror it shows her expression. It's not like overdone. Like there was an easy temptation with a scene like that to go a little bit melodramatic. And I, I like that. It's a little bit more subdued. Um, but as far as her, as far as the, the affair is concerned, I saw it more as her, tr- uh, Joan, I mean, trying to find some sort of replacement for Roger. Like there's in this episode, there's a parallel between, you know, uh, Roger is like using the twins to kind of uh, get his mind off of Joan. You know, he can't sleep with her like they're having a little bit of a tiff. So he's going younger. He's kind of being his own little hound dog. And she's going older and trying to find these two guys to kind of, you know, find a supplement for uh, for Roger. And obviously, neither of them are really getting what they want out of the exchange. Maybe Roger more so than Joan. But I thought that worked fine. Like, I, I understood the logic with that. But I did kind of feel like, I mean, I think Carol's dynamic is sort of similar to not only their uh, dynamic, but also with Don in the sense that like they, they all are all kind of personifying themselves as far as like what society wants them to be, but they're holding back their own personal interests in some respect. Like they're holding back something that for whatever reason, they can't really voice to another person or to anyone else. And I like that, you know, Don's the only one here that ultimately kind of gets that moment. But I, I, I think there's something, there's a seed of idea there with Carol that I think is really tender and moving. And I agree it doesn't get its full due, like I said, but I don't know. I, I'm not going to say that it, it wasn't warranted in this episode. Yeah, I, I guess I, I to me, it comes off like Joan is kind of doing both. Like, I, I do think that she is sort of like frustrated with the whole Roger thing, but I, I don't necessarily think that she's trying to replace him necessarily. I, I think to me, it's more of like she's just what Joan is trying to prove, I guess, is that 
she doesn't need Roger or whatever, uh, which sure. Um, but I think in Roger's case, like I, I don't think he's hung up as hung up on Joan as she is up on him at this point. I think that like for him, it's way more about his daughter. Like, I really don't think that like Joan is because Joan's not the person he's clearly thinking about in all of this. He's not saying like if he had been saying Joan's name instead of Mirabelle and like in, the, in front of the paramedics, then I'd be like, OK, clearly like, you know, there's something there. He's also not saying his daughter's name. He's, sure. he's saying Mirabelle, who's sort of like the, the avatar for his daughter in this case, which is, again, gross. But, but I mean, I think that's what it's going for. If he had done that, wouldn't that go against your earlier point that the two main things this episode are two on the nose? Well, that's the thing is like, I think that it, in this case, like him saying Mirabelle is a case where it's done right. Cause in that case, it's not on the nose, but I think it would have been on the nose if he had said, Joan, I'm just disagreeing with you that I, I don't think he's as hung up on Joan. I guess. I'm not, I'm not saying he should be. Okay. I actually think it, it fits the apartment archetype, right? Because sure. Sheldrake, you know, clearly doesn't care about you know uh shirley mclean's character he doesn't he care he he clearly has like all these affairs uh in the show in the movie and then shirley mclean is the one who's like uh, you know clearly having issues yeah i don't know i mean i get what you're saying I, I guess for me ultimately uh what joan is doing is a little bit more complex than what roger's doing ultimately roger's just trying to get his rocks off i think uh i yeah, i but, think that yeah I, again i don't i don't think it's pure lust for the guy I, I think that he's ha, he has a complex with his daughter, and to me that is pretty I think interesting. He has a complex with women in general, but yeah, his daughter certainly feeds into it. Sure, his age and his inability to access his youth is certainly quite paramount. To be sure, it must be frustrating considering he's such a charming person. He seems to be so good with people, you know. But this one person in his life, he can't seem to get to love him or to see him, right? Or he can't see her. Because she is, you know, his daughter and she is just somebody who is resistant to his charms. And, you know, maybe there is something in a way that like Joan has become resistant to his charms and that probably threatens him, not on a personal level for, you know, affection he has for Joan as a person, but more so what Joan represents, Mm -hmm. um, if that makes sense. Well, certainly she's I, I don't think Joan would ever admit it, but she is getting emboldened by Peggy in some respect or another. Oh, absolutely. So I, I, you definitely see like the influence starting to sort of like creep up. Um, I think, I think, uh, MZS mentions that too, doesn't he? I think so. I mean, it's apparent just from that, that scene where they're talking about the apartment, like it, like what she Mm -hmm. says does sound like something that Peggy would also kind of say in a similar conversation. So, you know, it just seems like Peggy's getting under Joan's skin in some respect or another. She will never admit at this point, but it's happening. Right. All right. Uh, what about you, Mike? What do you think of the Jones stuff? I think I would have cared a little bit more if like, I had more investment into Carol. I think I agree with what Will is saying in regards to I, the moment was, was, was tender and touching, especially for the time period it was in. I thought it was a very realistic situation, and I loved the scene. Um, but I, I get what you're saying, John, um, about your critiques of it. Um, I also just want to go on record to say I also don't think that uh, Rogers has, uh, has hung up on Joan as Joan is on him. Uh, Roger does not think about her unless she is right there in front of him um, or Mona is gone for the weekend and he thinks, oh, I can spend it with Big Red. That's, I think, about as far as his thoughts about Joan <laughs> yeah, go yeah. at this point. Are, are, we, also, are we fans Is this or not the first of, episode uh, we see Mona? No, we, got, we saw her. Uh, she met Don uh, a few episodes ago. 
with uh, Mona. Or you're, you're talking right. about Margaret, right? You're right. Yeah. Um. Um. Is it? Is oh, it the same yeah, actress? Though? Oh, it looked like same actress. Okay. So when there are we fans or not of when Roger is walking with Joan and being like, I got to get to the bottom of that. I need to get a real good look at those. Whatever he says, yes, no, uh, slapstick comedy. Anyway, this is not a very funny episode. I think I say I, I, if I, I think, say I'm a fan. Yeah. I, good. Well, I'm I'm sort of trying to bring it the point where like. Mad Men is usually pretty like funny whenever Roger is a big presence in an episode, and he's kind of not in this. And I think there's just there's a lot of like really cringeworthy moments here. I, I I think all of the stuff with the twins, I hate it. Like it's to me, it's like it's gross. Like, and I know it's supposed to be. I know it's what it's going for, but it's just it, to me, it's like a slog. Like I, I just hate those scenes. I hate you know Roger's interactions with them and. I, I hate Don's interaction with Eleanor. It's just not that interesting to me. I'm like, just move on. And then I guess that's a, a, a purely like I just that's probably one of the biggest things with uh, this episode for me is like it kind of leaves a bad taste in my mouth. And not that I, I, I don't think that it shouldn't because like that's that's how the scenes were designed. It just doesn't quite work for me in terms of like just uh, entertainment because like I think other episodes are able to sort of like send these messages across without being hard to watch, I guess. Um, but do you guys agree, disagree in the middle? I don't know. Uh, I mean, I'll just say that I don't disagree. I just think the episode maybe works a little bit better than you're giving it credit. But it's not like, I don't think this is a top five episode of the season. Uh, I, I do think it is a little patchy, as we've been discussing. I think it's a little blatant in ways that other episodes have been a little bit more subtle or maybe a little bit more nuanced in their commentary. But I, I do the stuff that we've been championing, I, I think really does work. So I, I don't want to disparage it or act like some of those ideas aren't uh, quite as impactful as it, as you might be making them sound like. But yeah, I guess that's where I agree, but also disagree with you. I think my overall thoughts, I, I don't think it's a top five episode. I do think it's a really solid episode. And I think what it was trying to do in the play in, in the season long story that Mad Men is was really solid i love where the episode left us i love the arc that roger was on this episode and i really love the moment with with don being really vulnerable and really weak but thinking it was you know him being strong right i i, I really like that moment with rachel and, and how, how they foil each other um and i think it really sets up the end of the season which we can obviously talk to when we get it but i just i think the episode mm-hmm. was done well and it did what it was supposed to do it's a functional episode because it, it's driving us along to the climax of the season, which is really important. You know, uh, we know that it's headed for the election. We only have a few episodes left in the season, so I, I do think that it's like it's doing what it's supposed to do as an episode of the season. Um, yeah, it just had some elements that irked me, but yeah, in terms of um, you know, I guess as we can kind of wrap this up because we, you know, it, not a lot happens in this episode. It's kind of easy to kind of like run through it, really. I mean. Um, yeah, I was going to say, we kind of glossed over the twin thing, but it seems like you might be doing that deliberately. Glossed over it? I don't know. It just feels like we uh, th- there's some stuff there that I kind of wanted to touch on a little bit, just because I feel like that's where the episode is probably at its most memorable and maybe most provocative. Uh, uh, what did you want to bring up? Well, I was just kind of curious to hear, because you, you said that this was 
a largely humorless episode, but there are some moments in here that seem maybe, and this is just an honest question, it seems like some moments in here maybe are meant to be darkly comedic, but it's kind of hard to maybe recognize that as much now because it's mm, I mean the only funny moment I saw was like when the guys were trying to hit on the twin the casting couch people well, that's and, what like, I mean they're terrible at it right I'm just saying like we're, we're watching this now uh during like the me too movement and it's like it's harder to watch like stuff like that are we like if, post me too at this point I don't really know I'm not I'm not gonna say we're post because it feels like that like it we've succeeded or whatever when it's obviously like still an ongoing thing I don't think that's what it means at all I, I think that it's like <laughs> to me that's what it sounds like that's why i don't like saying meat posts you know it's like I people gotcha. it's like people who say like we're post pandemic but it's like obviously the pandemic is still happening you know what i mean like i i it's I, sort of like it's we're, we're the pandemic major... is still happening <laughs> uh yeah we've just transitioned into pandemics i guess now uh we, we we've kind of uh multituded the pandemics um but sorry I, I cut you off before no i was just saying that like I was wondering from your when your perspective, like if if this episode was maybe supposed to be a little bit funnier in, in a dark way in those moments, but just it's not as easy for us to like maybe recognize whatever comedic moments would have been there because stuff like that is just obviously it, if it was funny before, it's definitely not funny now. So yeah, I just think it's gross. I was yeah, deeply I mean, uncomfortable in that scene. The, it's, the it's hurt uncomfortable in her in voice when she says, yeah. "Why does?" Why? Why does everybody always ask us that? I was just like, yeah. Oh, I mean, it was it was hard to watch. I did have the, a I did yeah. have a DiCaprio pointing at the TV screen moment when she says everything he says means something else too, yeah. and I'm like, Mad Men. Sure, but that seems like a comedic moment. That's what I'm kind of saying. Is that like that? That's like a joke. It's kind of a throwaway one. But obviously the yeah, scene's I so mean, uncomfortable. There are little there are sprinkles. Right. Well, that's what I mean. It's like, but that scene entirely is much more uncomfortable to watch now that like stuff like that can yeah. be harder to wreck. That's what I'm trying to get at basically. Especially because it's a scene where like nobody really wants to be there. Roger's right. exerting his power. Like, like as soon as Don tries to leave, he's like, no one's going anywhere. You mm. know, it's just like, right. Uh, uh, yeah. And I, I don't like it. Especially cause like, like we're saying like the, one of the grosser things that's, uh, that happens or, attempts to happen with with rogers episode was something that has been at the source of controversy related to one high profile director uh i I don't know if i should get into more details but you can probably figure them out if you're in the know uh i don't know if mike knows what i'm talking about maybe we can discuss it off the air but it's it's hard not to think about stuff like that obviously now when you watch an episode or a scene like this and it's just like yeah yeah i mean we've said it already but just gross just gross very gross yeah uh, I forgot to mention before when I was talking about how like Don wants a challenge. I, I I do think that like Don saw Betty as a challenge when they first met. We kind of got that like sort of uh, story from Betty already um, a few episodes ago or an episode ago actually when she was just like, oh yeah, I rejected Don at first, and like that's probably you know a big reason why he probably fell in love with her and wanted to marry her in the first place was because you know that was the ultimate challenge to him. It was like somebody who was born rich and he could like sort of marry into that it was like an ultimate proving but then now at this point he's like she's she's submissive to him she's he doesn't like respect her he views her as a child as other episodes have established so wanted to get out of the way real quick um let's i guess is there anything left to go through i mean there's a lot of stuff we didn't 
go into super thoroughly. I know the election stuff, or you know, I feel like we're, we're it's, there's a lot of setup going for that. Um, we got the the whole Mencken scene, which yeah, you know, there's there's some interesting stuff there, but nothing like super noteworthy. I don't think. Uh, do you have anything else, uh, Mike? Don't waste your youth on age. Oh, isn't that what he says? Yeah, to we do get, in we the do elevator. Get, yeah, yeah. Don't waste your youth on. That was my age. really bad impersonation. Uh, that's so much better. Let me try again. Don't waste your youth on age. I don't know. That was that. <sighs> Roger Sterling suffered a heart attack. He survived it, but he's currently being hospitalized. What a shitty situation for Jonah. Like, like out, out, outside of like it being Roger and her being sad. I was just thinking of it from a practical standpoint. I would rather die than have to sit at a typewriter and listen to that old man dictate letters to every client and me have to type yeah. them up. That's uh, like, if you're ever wondering, what's the worst task mm. I can sign to Michael? It's that one. Yeah. Also, Joan, on, I need you to write this down. Mm. The man you love is nearly died. <laughs> now do that again 50 more times. Also, come in on holiday weekend to do this. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Oh man, yeah, it's just spooky too. Like when when Jaren like walks up and like you see her just like sitting there, kind of, you know, well, kind of freaked me out a little bit, honestly. But why would also, she bring that the, guy though? I don't know. Not important. I was gonna well, I was gonna bring him up just because like he was still trying to like make it work to his favor. He's just like you could need somebody yeah, yeah. here, you know. Yeah, if there's nobody in the office. Right. Like they could maybe you know finish what they started. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, he was. What he really you? Didn't, if you're with Christina yeah. Hendricks, well, sure. There you go. I mean, I'll be like, I will change clearly. the paper uh, your typewriter. <laughs> yeah, true. Um, Damn. Yeah. Any, anything else, guys? Um, trying to think. I don't know if there's like, yeah, like you said. I mean, there. Oh, I have one thing. Oh, okay. Uh, I think that it is. It is kind of interesting how the episode opens with Don kind of having that moment with his daughter. You know, him having like a fun little joke with Sally. Mm. And then so much of the episode is about how Roger can't seem to connect with his daughter. So it's interesting foreshadowing. Sure. I'd agree with that. Yeah. I also mentioned Psycho in this episode. Yeah, the Psycho stuff, I kept thinking about it. I was like, okay, you know, you do kind of have Don sort of knocking on Rachel's door. Okay, maybe there's a little bit of like a Norman Batesy kind of thing to him. I don't know. I, I think it's a stretch. It was a writer's thing. I read about it. It's just because uh, Roger's wife is also his wife in real life, and she's related to somebody who is in Psycho. And that's it. Well, there's a there's a nice thing, too, in this episode where, uh, well, um, I read that there were people who initially were like, oh, Psycho hadn't come out yet in September 1960. So it was like, oh, it's a goof. But uh, actually, the in New York, they had screenings, like early screenings of Psycho. So it is possible for Roger to have already seen it. So. Uh, nice little extra detail. There. Did you send me that poster of Psycho on purpose because of that, John? Because you sent me that Times Maybe. Square Psycho now playing. Oh, Maybe. Jakey. Well, I mean, uh, you can't trust me, Michael Overhauls. Uh, I always, I, everything I I say I means something else me, too. John. Um, I think I think we about hit the end of uh, our rope on this one, but we're going to be back next week to talk about what's the next one? I think Indian Summer. That's episode eleven, right? I think so. I think so. I think that's what we're going to do next. Um, we only have three episodes left of season one. We're really almost almost done with the season, guys. Can you believe it? Like mm. we're we're almost a seventh of the way through 
this experiment. And uh, I'm, yeah, I know. Time, time is uh, a wheel, I yeah. suppose. So uh, anyway. The best is <laughs> yet back to come. And, uh, <laughs> um, one thing, you know, if you want to connect with us, if you have any questions or you want to discuss the show with, with us, best way to do that right now is on Twitter. We have a Twitter account. We'll link it in the show notes, but it's Mad Men Men Pod. Uh, I think Mad Men Pod, Mad Men Men Pod. I actually forget what the handle is, but it's something like that. You'll find it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, hit us up if you have any questions or you want to, you know, uh, don't spoil Will Ashton on what happens in the show again. He hasn't seen it, uh, except for, uh, I guess we're, we're coming up like pretty soon. Well, we're going to get into uncharted territory for you. Like totally uncharted. So that's yeah, I, I think we're, because I've seen the first episode of season two. So, but after that, we're always I, moving the goalposts. It's always just like you were going to be on like season five, and you're going to be like, no, well, you know, I did watch this. <laughs> I technically did see this season two. I don't think I've moved the goalposts beyond like. I mean, I, I had to remember whether or not I watched the the season premiere, but I, I did remember watching that on Netflix at one point, and I was oh, like, okay. oh, I got to finish the show up, and I just never did. So I can say with some confidence that that's the last full episode of Mad Men that I saw. Okay. All right. Fair um, so you never you never what? got to when they did the crossover with Riverdale. No, unfortunately, <laughs> I didn't get to there yet. That that was quite a surprising thing, from what I've heard. Um, <laughs> it's so good. We... We'll we'll get there. We'll get there. I know you're trying to wrap up the show, John. But did we want to talk about how we got our first review of the show, or do you just want to save that for later? Oh, let's save that for later. That's okay. a can of worms, isn't it? Uh, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I think there's interesting conversation there, but you know, well, we we got to go because of you, Will. I know. You, <laughs> you're you're, you're I running know. late, so all right. Well, man. we'll wrap it up. Yeah. Um. Well, I, okay. Thanks as always for listening. We'll be back, and uh, until the next one, uh, I have an elevator to catch. So I'll see you guys. <laughs>